Welcome everyone to another installment of the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast. Today we're joined to talk about leading remote teams. We're going to cover a lot of different topics around managing remote teams, making sure that everyone is not socially isolated and all the good things that come with that. Today I'm joined by David Jenkins, Head of QA at Roll7, Bryce Bauer, Game Director at Supermassive, Tarek Ford, Head of Development at Quali, and Doug Pennant, Senior Producer, to talk about remote teams. We're going to get straight into some introductions, and I'll be starting with Tarek. Uh, hello, my name is Tarek Ford. I'm Head of Development at Quali. Uh, I've been in the games industry for 13 years now, predominantly in QA and production. And yeah, I've been at Quali for seven years working in their internal mobile studio. Righty, and David? Hi, so I'm David Jenkins, pronouns he, him. I'm Head of QA at Roll7. I've been working in the games industry for about 10 years now, mostly in QA, uh, mostly in the publisher or first party side, but now... Uh, working as head of QA on uh, the embedded team at Roll7. Um, I've also thrown in some production, a bit of voice acting, and a sea shanty, because why not? Amazing. And Bryce? Hi, uh, I'm Bryce. Um, I'm originally from Los Angeles, but moved to London about five years ago. Um, I've been in the games industry for about 12 years now, originally a level and game designer, um, and last year moved into game direction with Supermassive Games, where I currently am. And finally, Doug. Hi, I'm Doug. Uh, so I've been in the games industry since 2010, and through a mixture of QA and production roles, uh, Microsoft Creative Assembly, and then most recently, a virtual reality medtech startup called Fundamental VR. And uh, I'm currently moving on to a senior producer with an exciting opportunity soon. Amazing. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Alrighty, we'll get straight into it. So you've all brought a question to ask the other guests on the topic of remote teams. First up is Tarek. Tarek, what is your question and the context behind it? Yeah, so the context behind it is, I'm sure we were all impressed with how well we uh, dealt with initially going home after COVID. Um, I think it's not something we expected to to do so well, especially here at Quali, but I've heard that throughout the industry. Um, but as we've continued this remote or fully uh, fully remote setup, we've onboarded new people into the team. We brought people into the industry who've never worked worked at a studio. And I was wondering what you guys think is is a good onboarding process. How do you ensure people get uh, invested in the studio as they would if they were come to the office in a in a traditional manner? All right, you. I want Doug to take this first. All right, I'll jump in. Um, so first, yeah, Tarek, um, I remember exactly the feeling you described because uh, it changed overnight. We were all in job and we all had to figure out a brand new thing. Um, and I did onboard a few new people quite soon after the pandemic had started, um, even a few people who they had signed their contracts to join the company and then the lockdowns happened before they even joined, so they were supposed to. And um, a lot of what I put into this was, I remember what was great about when I joined, it was Creative Assembly at the time. And it was um, 
it was a big studio. It's for the people. You go in and you see the personality and you can feel the history of the place. So the rows of desks with um, history books there and a concept art on the walls, a, like hanging a inflatable banana above the ceiling, and then a kitchen for the people all talking and excited. And then the conversations about who everyone was and where things had come from. And so I put in, whenever I had someone new joining, it would be about an hour um, just to just to talk, um, just to chat about Creative Assembly and effectively tell the story of the place and try and give them a sense of that. Um, so they could, it's not just here's what the job is, but here's where you are. Um, like, and here is the, like, here's the momentum of the places, the culture of the places, the history, and give them time to just talk and ask strange questions and just make it a conversation. And the other piece of advice, and this is one we figured out at Fundamental VR, was um, having somewhere that it's really easy to ask questions, like any questions. And so we ended up with a, it was a Slack channel that ended up with the name Ask Production. But I guess you could do Ask Anything. And it was a public Slack channel. And that was very good because anyone could see that anything was being asked there. How do I sign into this? Who can help me with this? What does this mean? Um, and it was, I think, a really good way to just help people not get trapped um, in not, and not get trapped by not anything they didn't know. And because there were some things we didn't know we knew and weren't obvious. So. Those are the two things I remember bringing in. Amazing. David, thoughts on that? Yeah, so um, I had a very different experience of all of that because uh, I, well, I started at Roll7 just after the first lockdown hit. Um, but Roll7 have been a fully remote studio since 2015. So uh, as far as the, the studio was concerned, not on a personal level, but as far as the, you know, the business was concerned, you know, lockdown hit. Um, people working remotely, all of the rest of it essentially made absolutely no difference whatsoever. Um, it was just business as usual, pretty much. Um, so it was a very different experience, I imagine, for me onboarding at a studio that was fully prepared for that and, and entirely set up for it, um, compared to people who were obviously, as you said, madly scrambling to try and figure out how they were supposed to do it. Um, speaking from personal experience, um, I found the, the process that we used was really good. There was a series of one-to-one -one meetings, um, introducing you to key people that you'd be working with uh, on particular projects or just generally, your, you know, your line manager, et cetera, uh, which included some introductions to the games. As you said, you know, it's, it's really great to see this is what you're working on. This is the this is why you're here. This is the project, uh, et cetera. Um, and that also then included some more senior management, you know, giving you a bit of history of the studio and a bit of you know this is our work ethic this is what we like this is how we are etc um before you started getting thrown into you know stand-up calls in the morning with 30 people on a zoom call all staring at you and going it's the new person um which can be quite intimidating um so yeah that i think that made a big difference um i mean you mentioned slack other other team remote Software programs are available, I'm sure, um, but uh, we we use it as well, um, and we use it essentially as our studio. So what you were saying about you know the rows of desks and there's your history books and there's your this and there's your that, um, we don't have any of that because we don't have a studio. So all of that exists solely within Slack. So it's all about um, the Slack channels. It's all about um, we we have a really great uh, meme culture and gifs and custom emojis and all that sort of stuff. You know, um, 
my, my fiance is forever sitting next to me going, how do you guys get any work done, honestly? Because <laughs> um, it's just, look at this funny meme, look at this funny gif. Um, but that really helps you sort of settle into a place that where you're not actually there, um, which can be which can be quite tough, I think. So um, I think the most important thing, especially because the, the question I think was about, especially people that have never worked not in person before, be patient. Just allow for the fact that some people are going to take some time to adjust to that. Um, I, I have ADHD. I'm autistic. Um, I find the working remotely and the not working in a room full of 300 people making loads of noise perfect for me. Um, so I took basically no time to adjust whatsoever. Um, but some people will struggle with that. So yeah, just just give them that time. I was. Yeah, I uh, share a lot of similarities with with David. Actually, I'm I'm also ADHD, and uh, I find an in office uh, onboarding situation way more overwhelming in a sensory way. Um, I was uh, I was onboarded to Mediatonic in April 2020, right in the middle of that first lockdown. Um, so um, I have a you know, from from that side, I have a perspective. Um, being onboarded myself and um you know there were things that were done really really well you know i think your documentation needs to be very good um you can't just rely on well just go over to that person's desk and, and ask them i mean you could do that on slack but um knowledge share and, and knowledge transfer is is super important in remote working um having having best practices um and an onboarding doc for somebody to look over it can be a can be a, a, a real saving grace for for a student a studio and for a, a new hire um and and like you said the the slack or teams however your studio works um you know having uh, invitations to all the kind of relevant channels and even maybe not the relevant channels i found sometimes it's very hard to seek out interest or channels that you don't know even exist and you don't really know who to ask because you don't have that amazing ask anything or ask production channel <laughs> that doug was mentioning um that's a that's a great idea um and uh you know the the, the frequent one-to-ones are are great as well and something that i found um maybe a, go a little further than that is to have essentially like a buddy system um you know everybody gets paired with uh, a line manager in some way um and if maybe if it's not that person if they've got too much on their plate find somebody else who works with them on a day-to-day -day basis and just can kind of guide them through and you know be the point person for any any questions they might have you know without fear of embarrassment um somebody who can reveal information to them that they might not even know that they need to ask that's something i find is very difficult um is um, you don't even know that you don't have this information that be, could be quite important because it's scattered um, uh, everywhere, different departments, different channels that you might not be a part of. Um, so basically, I think give people the uh, availability of as much information as they can get and, and leave it up to them as to what they can take in and what is relevant to them, you know, over time. Um, but yeah, like David said, patience is is a super useful trait in this. And um just kind of pers personal nature of, of dealing with people. I think you have to be a little more personal with them. Make sure that, you know, they're um, they're feeling OK. You don't have that kind of in-person um, body language and stuff that you can see when you see somebody in, in a in a Teams uh, chat or, a, a you know, Google Meet chat, whatever. Um, you might not be able to get the, the full picture of, of, you know, how they're feeling that day. So um, it's just about more about checking in more frequently, I think. Bring that back to Tarek, what are your thoughts on all that? What have been your experience? Yeah, yeah, I think I think everything you guys said is is, is fantastic. And we, we, we try to do a lot of that. Um, one thing that we did is 
we put together a, a presentation, an onboarding document, and this is kind of a Google Slides sheet. It's, it's, it's meant to be fun. It's got pictures of your team members. It's got descriptions of them. Um, and we'll take you through that on on your first day to really give you that that what would have been the the, the walk around experience to go up to the desk experience. Um, I'll also try to introduce them to as many senior members of the team as possible because although you obviously may work in a localized team, I think in order to really understand the studio, you need to uh, meet the people who have the greatest influence over the studio and understand their their, their perspective. So we do that as well. Um, the other thing is because because this is new, right? We haven't been working in. Uh, or rather we haven't been working remotely for 100 years like we've been working in offices, um, try to gather as much feedback as possible. So once somebody's at that three month mark, um, you know, I'll pull them aside and say, hey, what was your onboarding process like? I'm sure there's stuff that that we missed because although we can kind of painstakingly go over it, we can't really go through it for you. And they'll highlight some really obvious stuff where you're like, ah, oh, damn, I should have, like, I can't believe I didn't introduce you to that person or that department. Or of course, why wouldn't you know? Yeah, or, or sorry, like, why would you know how to, how to achieve this within our studio? So kind of getting lots of uh, consistent feedback from people and then applying that to the next person and then, you know, tracking those issues through as well has really, has really helped us. Before I open it up to uh, challenging, I just want to share um, a bit of a story as well. Like um, we've had three contractors join Quali. Uh, it was last year and they all gave me very good feedback on the onboarding experience. And they all mentioned the fact that there was almost so much video FaceTime with the leader where mm. through osmosis, they just picked up so many things. And if you were invited, even as an optional thing, to a like video stand-up or a retrospective, it's just you pick up so many things. And we've had, on the flip side, contractors join different studios where a lot of the onboarding was kind of done through text. And it was very rare that they would someone would jump on a huddle or video. It just wasn't the culture there. And that was very tough for that contractor. I remember speaking to them quite regularly. And we needed to have like a weekly one-to-one with the manager and the contractor to kind of make sure they were kind of understand and they had a go-to contact because if their go-to contact who's usually available by text was gone for a week which which did happen it kind of falls out of way and gets a bit kind of you're in a silo and I think what everyone said like a combination of just an open collaborative slack channel maybe an even open collaborative like video channel I've seen I've heard of a couple of studios do that where it's just like dedicated time uh, might be fika time it's optional but if there's a culture of that happening it can be like that ask production uh, channel where people can just go in there and just hear from the questions that someone else asks. Then you can cover the stuff like you don't know what you don't know. And then you hear that conversation. Oh, actually, tell me more about that. I think having video FaceTime is so important. And if it's not a culture, I think it's on where if I was doing a studio, like I want to have as much FaceTime for that new person to join because I think the video is so much more powerful. Mm. That is that is something we experimented with as well. We like you know we did a, we did introduce arbitrary rules like your camera must be on during meetings and things like that. And, mm. and obviously we you know we had some pushback from that because because you know quite rightly some people don't feel comfortable. It's a it's a very different experience uh, when you can see yourself and it's all you know there can be the focus on you when when you're speaking. So we've kind of rolled that back uh, a little bit and said speak to us if you don't feel if you don't feel comfortable. But in terms of from a leadership point of view, yeah, we try to put ourselves out there as much as possible. Um, we tried to think what might people hear incidentally in the office, like you said, and obviously they won't get that remote. So maybe we should leave the, the meeting open to them so they can come in and they can hear hear this information being passed on. Mm. Well, one thing I just remembered uh, to your point where, like, let's say the video is not on, um, collaborative Miro boards where, especially if like 10 plus people in a meeting, I found that if it's a person who is harder to kind of speak up, let's say, then they are a lot more likely to actually contribute if they see other, everyone just running around on a mirror board so if that's not been tried before i think that's a great idea because then you can just 
have people who are even quiet, but they actually just write essays on the mirror board and then it's addressed. And um, I, I found that to be quite cool. That's a really good point. Uh, I've seen something. There's a lot of people who won't say much, but they will type in the chat during a call, which is actually a really good point. Yeah, I hadn't kind of identified that as that's a good way to hear quiet people. Yeah, and you can call, you can call, call, call them out. Um, what were you going to say, David? No, I was just going to say we make we make good use of the chat in in calls as well. Um, more often than not, it's someone cracking a silly joke that they don't want to interrupt the director with, but they've thought of and they have to say it. Um, and yes, more often than not, it's me. But um, yeah, it, it, it's still a, a good opportunity for people, as you said, to ask questions, um, especially if it is one of those. Uh, so we do quite a regular meetings with uh, the directors and department heads and various other people giving like a, this is what we've been up to for the last however many weeks uh, type type meeting. Um, uh, and it's like sort of a big news report about, you know, this is what's happening at Rail 7, this is what we've been doing, this is what we're doing next. Um, some bits that you might not have seen behind the scenes, stuff that HR have been up to, all that kind of idea. Um, and there's always the opportunity to ask questions at the end um, or, or during. Um, and more often than not, those questions come from either an anonymized Google form that's sent out beforehand um, or the, the Zoom chat. Um, it, it's very rare that people will unmute themselves, even with, when they're told, now is the time that you can unmute yourself and ask a question tumbleweed um you know crickets in the background the whole thing uh so yeah that that's super useful as well i think i think just making it accessible for everyone right you've said anonymized version you have the chat then you can have the voice and then if you make it so there's so many ways where someone can ask a question rather than only one way that seems like a good thing for everyone yeah I think um, sorry to interrupt, but um, I think that that's really useful for hybrid working as well, uh, which is something we might talk about later. But when you have some people in the office in a room and then some people remote, um, those people who are remote, it's it's very hard to get a word in edgewise when people are in the room or talking um, and you're on that delay. So you utilizing the chat to be able to uh, identify that you've got something to speak about or using the the hands up, you know. Um, feature uh, on all these um, video calls. Uh, it's, it's been super useful, both in, in hybrid and, um, like David said, in, in the remote, full remote settings. All righty, let's move on to the next question, which is from David. David, what is your question and the context behind it? Yeah, so I think this sort of follows on nicely from the conversations we've already been having and, and from that first question. Um, obviously, initially, we we're talking about how do we uh, bring people in? Um, so my question is, about keeping people. Um, so how are you maintaining uh, engagement, retention, uh, et cetera, um, you know, keeping people on board and, and keeping people engaged with the work that they're doing? Not so much about, you know, how do you get people to do their work? Um, you, you would hope that people are doing that anyway. You know, most people working in the games industry are very passionate of what they're doing. Um, but actually keeping them in that remote setup, obviously for places that are working hybrid, um, they may not have to, and they may just be able to go, well, I'll just work in the office. I prefer that. That's fine. Um, but obviously, we don't have that. Um, we can use the Take-Two offices every now and again if we need to use them for things. Um, and, you know, we tend to meet up there once a month as well. But uh, in terms of the actual day-to-day -day work, you know, what, what what's your strategies for, for keeping people engaged and uh, on board? Eric, are you all right to take this first? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think it all goes back to what makes you happy, right, whether you're remote or not. And it's a feeling of... of of belonging it's seeing your work kind of be be actioned and be appreciated by others um we we kind of spend some of the budget so we obviously have studios but we also have people remote 
that has allowed us to have a smaller office environment and that costs less money. So let's spend some of that money supporting people who are remote. So give them a big budget so they can have their they're set up properly um, but even down to to small things we on one of our mobile games we had a really great piece of key art created um, by a new lead artist a starter um, and we all really loved it and we gave lots of good feedback in the chat but we thought well what better way than to kind of realize this into like a physical poster so we had that done and we posted it all around the world to the people who were there so they can see oh you know damn i posted this in slack like only a week ago and now it's here it's in my hands my my work is appreciated um, we also do town halls, kind of. We call it Creative Wednesday. We get together every other week. Um, one person from the studio, so either the mobile vertical, the PCC vertical, they will give an update and they will speak openly about the challenges they've had and they will kind of let people uh, into what what they're doing in the studio. So again, like that that buy-in. Okay, I, you know, I work here. I don't work on my own in a in, in a silo or just with a few people that I need to interact with. Um, the other thing is, especially as as the studio gets bigger we shouldn't take for granted that anyone knows how to do this properly. So if we can upskill our managers so that they can be better when you're actually not around, like I've got quite quite a large team, so I can't always ensure that everybody's getting the attention that they need. But if I can ensure that at least my managers know the right way to go about stuff, then I know that they're doing that 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 good work for me, hopefully. Um, and again, leaving um, things like open calendar slots. So I've got two times a week, 30 minute slots that people can see in my Gmail, um, sorry, my Gmail, my Google calendar, and they can book it out. Uh, and they know that, and it's 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 a place where they can come and talk to me about whatever they want. It won't go further than me, or if it's if it's an idea for the studio, productivity, whatever it is. Um, and that's something that I think if you, you can assume people will come to you, but if you actually leave the gap open, then you might you might get more throughput um, in that way. So yeah, that's that's a few things that we've we've kind of introduced. Love that poster idea, that was just brilliant. Just because especially because it's not unexpected, right? It's a little, little mm, gift. Exactly. Mm. Bryce, thoughts? Yeah, I think like like Tarek said, the 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 physical kind of memories of of your actual work can 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 be huge. Um, and I know Mediatonic, uh, uh, even the Fall Guys wasn't wasn't a, a physical release. They ended up making you know a um, um, a kind of commemorative disc and, and box for everyone who worked on it um which is a you know a really nice touch for people who worked um you know years years on a on a product that um that did really well for a, a studio um i think you know giving people the option of being able to engage in the way that they're most comfortable in in, in engaging can can be important um when I was at Mediatonic, I, uh, you know, we would hold uh, virtual events uh, for, you know, people just, you know, fun things after work. If people wanted to join, wasn't mandatory, but, you know, good team building and getting to know people who are outside of your kind of smaller team. Like Tarek said, you, it's, we get really kind of isolated in game development. Sometimes we have a real problem with that. Um, uh, and and to that point, letting people be available to all those those Slack channels, like I said, rather than just limiting them to their team's Slack channels so they know what's going on in other areas of the game. It makes them more knowledgeable about their own work um, and is really, really helpful in that way. Um, and then, you know, in-person meetups as well for people who feel comfortable with it. Um, if you're a remote team that got people all over the globe, if there are, you know, four or five people who all live in the same city, if they want to meet up, like, you should foster that. And uh, I say foster that, I mean by the company funding that, not forcing everybody to go, hey, let's all meet up and let's get drinks and we're going to pay for it ourselves and then hope that we can put it through, through expenses. Like, um, you know, get that um, known to people. And it's like, a, it's a policy that everybody knows that that's a thing that we're willing to do to kind of, you know, foster this kind of team environment in a way that, you know, people are, are really 
comfortable with in their in their own way. Um, I think like the probably the best way to just like ensure that you have <laughs> kind of good retention of people in a in a remote way is the same with with any way is just is just caring about them and and showing them that you actually care about them. These are always everybody's is given examples of ways that you I think show that you care about your team. Um, they're you know it's a whole spectrum of ways you can do that, but that it just I think it just comes down to that personally for me. And um, I've 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 seen and shown more loyalty to places that make me feel valued and wanted than places that make me feel like an afterthought or um, just a cog in a machine. Um, so yeah, I think. Th- those are a couple of the uh, the means that you can you can use. Amazing, Doug. Thoughts? Cool. I think I'm likely to be repeating several things that have been said so far, but um, uh, I'll start off by echoing uh, Bryce's point about the fostering the culture and what people want to do, um, and listening to them because a huge part of people get, keeping people engaged is making it feel like it's their studio as well, not just they are working for someone else's business like um and i i know i had that at creative assembly because i still catch myself saying we whenever anything is happening in their games even though i haven't worked there since 2022 um so and a lot of that was when it was good when people have got ideas of i want to try this this would be a cool thing or even if they haven't said anything to you you just see it happening so maybe someone's trying to um arrange like a weekly quiz online or something or um uh, like running some kind of event or trying to make something happen, keep an eye out for what's happening and um, reach out um, if you've got, if you're managing the resources for it or, or can offer any, say, hey, this is a cool idea you've got. Is there anything um, we as the company can help, like can do to kind of put towards this to help you grow it? Um, like how can we support this? Because this is clearly part of our culture. Um, and some echoing actually um, the echo in one of the gifts uh, idea back um what Tarek said about the posters being sent out um we had a little version of that as well like having something physical at fundamental vr um which was um each time we released something there would be pins one of the other producers came up with the idea of um is a way of celebrating it and it would just be small badges because these were quite quick projects some of them be like three to six months so you can't do a whole plaque for each one but um these little pin badges and if they were kind of the design was decided by the team so at the end, for example, like, I mean, I've worked on stuff about like for heart pumps and stuff. So we had one then come back, which is just like a little pin of a heart or some of the pins were like team in jokes. And these were really great physical celebratory things that kind of made your part of the company kind of come home to you. And like, I've still got them on lanyards. And uh, the last one, again, something Tarek said um, was about the, at least I think it was Tarek said it, um, about the full com- whole company being on a call um, and so having the occasional business update. Um, I saw this happen organically at Creative Assembly, and by the time I joined Fundamental VR, they were already doing something very similar. So Creative Assembly was, and every week there would be a full company meeting, just here's what's going on. And sometimes other members of the company would be chipping in. And uh, something at Fundamental VR I really liked and cannot take any credit for, I think it was one of my, like, I as soon as I saw it when joining, I thought, this is brilliant. Um, it's during what they call the company check-in, which is a few times a week. Um, it's so it's a, it's announcements, it's an update from someone business side from a team, but then there's always one person's personal update, and it rotates through the company, and it will be something um, something I've learned, or what's your story, or what's on my desk, 
and it's just it's a bit like okay random citizen here's the mic for five minutes and it was great it just kept the ongoing personal touch of the company and helped you gradually connect to people you might not work with more and more so i really sing the praises of that one um one other way you can kind of look at this uh from a further out part of you maybe you're uh, an owner or you're you're you you run a team you're a hiring manager is don't hire people who will struggle to work remotely and i know that sounds uh, like a strange thing to say but that will help you increase your business retention you know your retention of your your overall studio and i think we shouldn't assume people have the ability to work remotely. Often we think of a position as remote or hybrid or, or in office, uh, but we don't think of that when it comes to people. Is this person a, you know, somebody who can do remote? And I think you can ask questions during the uh, interview process, like, hey, what's your what's your setup? How do you take breaks? Where do you go when you want to relax? Um, all this kind of stuff to kind of get the impression whether somebody is actually set up to succeed. And it doesn't necessarily mean you don't hire them if they don't pass through those things with flying colours, but you can do more to support them after you bring them into the fold so that they, they, they do actually have a nice environment, um, you know, at home or, or, or wherever it is. I just really want to appreciate that point because although I'm, I'm a huge advocate for enabling the remote working and however people want to, I don't personally enjoy it. I'm a voluntary Same. nine to fiver because, I mean, that's the atmosphere that kind of being surrounded by the work environment. That's what keeps me working. But, um, but I wouldn't for a second want to force that on other people and there are some people that you see they're so much more relaxed they're so happy mm. and so keen to like this is this is works for me and so good cool um but i appreciate you <laughs> advocating that point yeah i think um, that's something that we did at mediatonic especially during you know when we were kind of rolling out of the lockdowns and there was still a bit of trepidation about how many people can be in one space at one time so we had it limited at like percentage of employees could be in the office at any given time and that would increase over weeks and that gave you know people who wanted to come in they they had the option to you know, put their name down on a list and until that list got full up you you know you then got a spot to to come into the office and for those people who wanted to work remote they didn't look at that list and that was great for them and uh, you know, uh, it's it, like like you said, just taking it for each individual and not forcing one way or the other is is a really great way to just show them that um, they can they can stay for a long time and without being forced out by feeling uncomfortable with something. We loop this back to David. Some closing thoughts. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I was going to comment on Doug's thing about um, here, random citizen and having a mic um, and how much of a terrible idea that is but then maybe I shouldn't as I'm a guest on a podcast um, so, um I, I think for me uh for me the most important thing is is has with almost anything in a studio or, or anyway really um it has to come from the top um as I said you know very lucky with roll seven um with uh the directors that we've got and um the fact that they're you know they've been thinking remote first for for so long um it all you know it was almost difficult for me to answer some of these questions because it just seemed so obvious and it just seemed so normal. Um, but, you know, having worked here for the last few years now, I'm sort of going, people working in offices? What? Why? Um, um, but that that direction from the top, I think, is important, especially when it comes to the hybrid working that some of you have been talking about, because you do have to think, I feel like you have to think remote first, even in a hybrid uh, a setup, because the people working remotely are going to be the ones that are going to struggle more with things than the people working in person because they're not just immediately there and they don't just immediately have access to stuff. Um, and so, you know, if you are hosting a meeting, think about what that meeting is going to be like for the people who aren't there 
before you worry about what it's going to be like for the people who are, because they'll figure it out. That'll be easy enough. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, you've all mentioned about like little sort of knickknacks and bits that you get um, from from the studios, and that you know that's always great anyway, right? Even if you're working in person, it's nice to come to your desk in the morning and go, oh, cool, a thing, um, and it's just you know some new Sega match or whatever it might be, right? Depending on where you are, but um, it's the it's the care behind it. I think that is the most important thing. Um, we've got, as I said, we go to the Take Two offices once a month, um, and they they deck out the ground floor in just roll seven stuff we've got cushions and we've got cardboard cutouts of things and we've got little coasters that are all of our custom emojis from uh from our slack channels and you know my i may or may not have stolen one and there's one downstairs of my face and like <laughs> those sorts of things are really cool um and i'm actually sat here believe it or not underneath a, a roll seven branded blanket because hr decided it was so cold they would send everyone blankets and that's a really nice thing because it's not just oh it's a cool roll seven thing it's actually genuinely you know what it is really cold isn't it yeah have a blanket you know um so i think that that makes a really big difference um but also largely i'd say uh, embrace the benefits of it being of being remote as well right um embrace the the change that it makes to your work-life balance, embrace the, someone mentioned earlier about uh, access to information. When you're working remotely, that information has to be written down somewhere that everyone can see it. And it's amazing how often that doesn't happen when you're working in person and how many problems that causes. Um, so make the most of those things and, and you know, really use the remote setup to empower you to be better rather than thinking about it as, God, how are we going to manage this? Um, that that would be my biggest my biggest bit of advice, I suppose. I just want to respond to that one uh, in that this was one of the biggest challenges I think we had at Creative Assembly suddenly making that shift because um, we felt where those documenting processes weren't. Um, and we were very used to a culture like um, it had, especially as the studio had grown a lot in the last several years. And so from when it was small um, and all in the same place, it came from a culture where if you had something to say or something to check, you turned around and shouted across the room um, because everyone in the, that needed to could hear you. Um, and you could write the next milestone date on a whiteboard and everyone could see it. But the studio grew loads and the, we, they were, this was becoming a problem like, um, quite, off, like quite often. The fact this wasn't written down, it kind of, we knew it needed to be done, but like um, getting people to ad advocating for it and getting people to make it part of their day was hard. And then the pandemic happened and it was, well, now we're remote. Now you don't have a choice. Now that now there's no whiteboard. Now there's no, and a, now there's no shouting across the room. No one is sat in the right part of the office anymore. So we had to learn fast, but it did effectively, it forced us to adopt some good practices. I, I think um, I'm not. I'm, you know, I don't want to give away all of Roll Seven's awesome secrets, but um, oversharing is a big thing. Um, you know, over communicating. Uh, I think Bryce mentioned it earlier. Maybe it's an ADHD thing. I don't know. I would rather you give me all of the information under the sun about everything, and I will figure out the bits that I need than under provide me with the information. I mean, giving me just you think oh, that's probably all I need. I'd much rather have much more of it. Um, it makes a big difference to my work, but it also makes a big difference to me and my sort of my work ethic, I suppose, is that people were mentioning about like being cogs in a machine or whatever. I don't mind being a small cog in a machine as long as I understand what the machine is doing and why my small cog makes a difference. 
and 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 what it's doing and the fact that my small cog is turning this bit that turns that bigger cog that's making that other thing and then rainbows whatever um you know that that makes a big difference to me uh, and i can only do that if i have that inform information and if you have that transparency from as you said like the the team meetings and the studio getting together and saying this is what we're up to um that makes such a big difference especially when you're otherwise just sat on your sofa on a laptop or whatever uh, on your own um and it's very easy i think in that situation to feel like a small cog that's having no impact on anything yeah i'd like to just jump in really quick on one of doug's points i think it's a really important point is um not having the time to write the documentation um so this is something that happens in game development all the time, right? Because we have got deadlines on our own day-to-day -day work and then to split that time to write documentation for new hires or even for other team members, um, you know, is it's very difficult. So I'm a huge advocate of hiring technical writers who do those things as their job. It's their job. Um, they can I can understand how you work if, by being embedded in a team and, you know, they you don't have to take time away from your JIRA tasks um, or make a new JIRA task to write documentation that will take you away from a milestone build or something like that. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a it's 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 an option and it's one I wish more studios would would take seriously, I think. Never heard of that as an option. So the fact that I never heard of it, it sounds like a great idea, but amazing. And I like the a couple points that have already been made. The You can connect what you're doing to like the greater vision. And I feel like that could be a little bit of a glue while you are thousands of miles away that if you know what you're doing, how it contributes and through osmosis and teams meetings, I think if you just get away from being in the silos, like I make assets for this feature, if it's more like, this is what I have included. I am part of this project. It just makes, it gives you that purpose, which is what we will need. Alrighty, let's move on to the next question, which is from Doug. Doug, what is your question and the context behind it? Yeah, so um, this, uh, again, some this will be interesting from David's point of view, because as you were saying, you already had these practices of remote working well established, and I guess they were normal by the time the pandemic rolled around. But for us, um, going suddenly into that transition, I and mean, then we had to learn a lot of new things. And um, it also meant every single conversation became a meeting, unless it was already in Slack or Teams. And um, and we've we realized quite quickly that managing an in-person meeting is not the same as managing either a remote meeting or a hybrid meeting. And we've had to we've had to kind of start picking up some extra practices and picking up some new skills. And uh, I'm curious to hear what the rest of the group's experience has been adjusting to that and of course in David's case um what what they've known for a long time please <laughs> well I mean I suppose if I start by saying um as I said I joined Ros Evan just at the start of the 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 pandemic um so I didn't start at Ros Evan with the knowledge of how to do these things right um uh I've had a little bit of experience managing remote uh, you know, people working remotely towards a project uh, within within sport, but but not um, not sort of nothing formal or, or commercial or, or you know actually people being paid to do um, within games. So it was still a learning curve for me. Um, I think, uh, as I said, it, it it's trying to figure out um, what's best for your people. When you're talking managers, um, you know the manager should know their team pretty well, and they should know. Uh, what works for them so uh more often than not rather than having a call and having a conversation um 
it will go into a site message, into a channel or something. Um, very rarely in DMs. We try and avoid DMs wherever possible um, because, you know, that what we were saying before about the information and making sure that everyone has access to all the information they need. It's no good me turning to one of my team and saying, hey, are you able to do that thing? All right, cool. Oh, no, in fact, don't do that thing. We're not doing that thing anymore. Forget it. Um, only to find out that the rest of the team are still doing that thing because no one told them to not do that thing. I thought he was going to tell them, but he didn't. <laughs> and it causes all sorts of problems. Um, so, yeah, it, it really depends on what it is. Um, trying to keep it light, I suppose, especially if it isn't a meeting. Um, we also have a tendency to, uh, because, I mean, especially, you know, everyone knows what the games industry is like at the minute. Um, I don't want to bring the tone down and talk about redundancies and studio closures and all those sorts of things. But we now have a tendency whenever there is a meeting, and especially if it's a studio wide meeting, the meeting will be called. Everything is totally fine. This is all positive news. We just wanted to tell you all of the same thing all at once meeting or whatever. And that's genuinely what it will be called in Google calendars um, because it causes anxiety. Right. You see, you, um, I certainly have it where um, if, if my manager says to me, have you got a second? Oh, the panic that sets in <laughs> my, my heart stops and the blood drains from my face and I'm just oh god what have I done um and it's invariably can you stick these videos together for a thing that's going off to a green light pitch or whatever you know it's some it's some additional task that I'm just I'm, I'm volunteering myself to do um but uh that that can sort of really set in when you're working remotely I think even more so than in person um especially because all you're doing is reading the words can I talk to you for a second you're not hearing a tone so you're you're inferring a tone uh, and I don't know about anybody else, but I will infer a negative tone more often than not um, when it comes to things like that. Um, so keeping it, yeah, as I said, sort of keeping it lighthearted and making sure that um, if it is just a chat or if it is a, this isn't a meeting, but I just wanted to talk to you guys, um, you know, keep keep it like that. Keep that, keep that tone. Um, keep it sort of semi-informal, I suppose. Um, uh, and if it is going to be a meeting, make it clear that it's a meeting, right? This this is a meeting. I'm running this meeting. This is what the meeting's about. Um, you know, come to it with thoughts. Here's the agenda. Be organised, right? And we've already talked about the the difference that being remote makes to your documentation writing. Um, do the same thing with your meetings, right? Make sure that you're going into the meeting with a plan and everybody knows what the plan is beforehand, etc. Um, and it, it avoids a little bit of that. Um, what are we doing? Where are we? Um, <laughs> uh, problems that that can occur. Um, so yeah, that, those would be some of my those would be some of my main ones. And again, I'm, I, I keep saying it, but think remote first, right? Especially in hybrid setups, um, be be prepared for the fact that people who are joining the call aren't going to be able to interact and, and contribute as much. Maybe um, if you're having time to do breakout rooms and those sorts of things, keep the people on the call probably in their own breakout group. Um, if for an, if for no other reason than because otherwise you're talking about going into different rooms and setting up more Zoom calls. Well, it would be great to integrate them, but it, it almost definitely won't work. Um, so they're almost better off sort of having their own little chat and then they can come back to you. Um, and that's easier then, I think, usually for them to be able to say, this is what we talked about. And these are our thoughts. And here's that um, rather than trying to. Oh, can I do it? But wait, it, sorry, can I just wait? Is, can I speak? Um, it, it, it never works. It never really works. Yeah, I think that's that's a huge point. Um, when when dealing with with hybrid workspace, is thinking remote first. It's something that I've I've come to relatively recently. Um, you know, being in in meeting rooms with some people who are 
uh, remote um, working from home on their own systems, um, I find that if it's going to be a split in some way, it's just sometimes easier. If some people are in the office, just send them to their desks and do it as a remote call. Um, you can then have, you know, the, the raise hand thing. It will put it in a priority list. Uh, if you've got a good producer like Doug, then, you you know, you'll, you'll have everything nicely organized and everybody will be, you know, heard and listened to in 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 the meeting. Um, so I think that's that's a that's a massive one. Um, no DMs was another thing um, that David mentioned that um, we did at Mediatonic as well. After a while, something we had to learn um, because it, it it was following the in office model of I'm just going to walk to somebody's desk virtually, which is a DM, and ask them something or give a piece of information, and then nobody else other than those two people know that information, and it goes to their grave or they're uh, leaving the company at some point, which is always a, a terrifying thing. So yeah, having it in open channels, um, even if it's a lot of information, you can mute channels if you don't want to hear the notification each time, you know, but if it's there and it, you know, it gets saved for a decent amount of time, you know, three, six months on, on the Slack servers or whatever. Great. Um, I also think um, important information um, being just on Slack, I think it can get, get lost really, really easily. Um, so following up important um uh, you know, like burndowns of, of meetings, like what what are the next steps from this meeting? Maybe send that out as an email to everybody who is in that meeting and also put it in the channel so that people can, again, have that information, whichever way works best for them. It might feel, um, you know, ham-fisted or a little overdone to be sending out that much stuff, but I'd rather have, have people have the information than have an excuse to not have the information and not have the the, the task done. Um, so those are some some big ones uh, for me as well. And yeah, just um, not not having people having to do that jump in awkwardness thing, because for me, it is just the most awkward thing ever. Um, if you are working uh, on Slack, mainly being like remote first, um, I have a hard time with uh, tone being being misread, uh, being autistic. It's something I've dealt with since I was a very small child. Um, it happens both in text and in person, but it happens worse in text. So um, when I was like in my 20s, I just decided to exactly start doing emojis um, uh, because it, I, I found it got across what my actual emotion was if I put a smiley face on it um, rather than, you know, what the, the forward sentence might come across. Like, can we have a second? If I put a big old smiley face at the end of that, they're probably not going to think I'm going to make them redundant uh, two minutes later unless I'm a really, really cruel person. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, that's, that's an easy way for me to convey some of my base emotions that will hopefully uh, take some of the edge off in terms of misunderstanding uh, of what you might have been trying to get across to team members. Just make sure it's not the wrong smiley, right? If it's the basic smiley, then it means you're angry. We all know that. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, just a few, just a few kind of basic ones for me, I guess. Um, I mean, you can learn to be a good podcast host because I think being able to throw questions around the room at people is good. Uh, don't neglect or or stop anything you've been taught to do in regular meetings, like go in with an agenda, come out with notes. Um, like like don't negate that it's 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 harder i i like to keep virtual meetings shorter than i maybe otherwise would if they were in person because i think it's harder to keep people engaged you can't see 
the body language is easily people we get, can get distracted by what's on their screen. Often people don't come to meetings with you know all their tabs open, but they do come to every single virtual meeting with that with that sort of stuff. Um, ask people to take notes, like everybody to take notes. Maybe follow up in Slack with what you took from that meeting. Uh, allow people to uh, excuse themselves from meetings if they don't feel they've got anything um, to to add to it. It's actually easier to do that. I feel in virtually than it is in person. So like take advantage of maybe that one small benefit of doing a virtual meeting. Um, so yeah, they're, they're the sort of things I would say that, that I've learned. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's in, in incredibly important. Um, and uh, oh God, I actually completely lost my train of thought. I'm so sorry. If I remember it, I will, I will jump back in because it was it was such a good point that I wanted to, to vibe off of that Tarek made. ADHD. <laughs> Let's go to Doug and I'm sure it will come back. Yeah, it's a lot of really good points there. Um, I was thinking even on um, Bryce, what you said about the getting out stuff via like email afterwards, like because uh, I've started to build this two mod, two version model of what Slack and email are. And like Slack is like the ongoing, this is us talking. But um, if I want to search the information later, it's email. Uh, although um, something I've only found recently and should have been using for much longer are the built-in meeting notes functions that are built into things like um, Google Calendar, and I think Teams do a similar thing, where um, you can set up to record meeting notes, and then people can find them later. You can tag people in them. And so it's another option if you don't want to have to write a custom email each time. And yeah, um, something yeah, and something in particular I found, um, one of the hybrid meeting things I think is um, very key, and this is, this is where I kind of really saw, I think, a fundamental VR, because although you... Um, Tarek, you're talking about if we need to use screens and things, just send the people to their desks, um, which is often which is often true. It's often the case. Almost all, like it, you can think of it as if one person is remote, then this is a remote meeting. But um, if you are keeping some people in a room, something I found that's a really good practice is someone in that room has to be effectively the nominated remote advocate. Um, so they are. Um, it is their their job, or at least part of their main job, and maybe the chair of the meeting is the person that does it, is um, they are keeping an eye on the chat, they're keeping an eye on any hands raised, and they, and I, ideally even just watching the cameras there, and if, like, I mean, I found sometimes, like, I can see someone online wants to ask a question, and they're like, like or just like, uh, are you, like, um, have you got something to say? Like, maybe not that confrontational, but, um, yeah, or the, and occasionally even, Sometimes you have to lay down the law and say to your people in the room, you're whispering to each other and you're leaving people out of this call. So like you, someone has to do that job of like um, ensuring the remote people are supported. Uh, David, did you want to chip in with something? Uh, probably about five or six different things. Um, the, on, on, that, on that last point, um, I find that our in-person meetings are very different to in-person meetings that I would have had in the past. And you mentioned about like, you're whispering to each other or you're having this little conversation or whatever. Um, that doesn't happen in our hybrid meetings. As I said, we, we do once a month, we do meet up at, at Take-Two as many of us as possible, um, but we are all over the place um, and, and you know, travel can be a pain. So um, we do all, almost always, there'll be someone remotely uh, joining a, a call. Um, and so the meetings are much more uh, structured, they're much more almost presentation type meetings than anything else. Um, and so there is someone who is predominantly doing the talking um and then they can keep an eye on the on, on zoom or, or whatever you're using um as opposed to everybody just having a big sort of conversation um you know we, we do we're very cognizant of being clear 
having nice breaks between things um and and you know i've made my statement anything no okay next um and and sort of check doing that constant check-in not just with the people there but especially with the people uh the people online um i think i think makes a big difference um i was trying to make some notes on other things that people mentioned um in terms of note taking i mean email email is a funny one um i i used to work almost exclusively in email um now i get really confused when someone sends me an email and i don't know what it is um because we basically don't use them um but we do make use of uh, and again there'll be options um uh so called confluence or notion or those sorts of things um you know when you're talking about here's the meeting notes here's the here's what we decided here's what we're doing next um that's a really good place for look it's right there it, it's easily accessible you know where to find it um, it's all in some logical thing if you, you know assume you set it all up correctly um, and that makes a big difference um, but the other thing is you can record meetings right which is way easier to do remotely than it is in person right <laughs> setting up a camera or, or hacking into the cctv at the offices or whatever system you're going to use isn't as good as just hitting the record button on a on a teams call or a zoom call or whatever um, and that can be that can be really useful especially if it's going to be the sort of meeting where there's some really important information being uh, put forwards, or it's a, a big discussion between the designers and some of the artists, but a couple of people aren't there or whatever. Hit record on that, um, and it can be really, really useful then for people who aren't able to make that meeting to be able to just sit there in their own time um, and catch up on on what they've missed, basically, in a way that you you just could not feasibly do in person. Yeah, just uh, knocking on to the end of that. I wonder if that's about. I wonder if that's going to develop a new dimension recently because the the AI tools that are starting to come as like part of the office suites and such. So Microsoft Copilot reaching as a feature um, where for recorded meetings you can ask the Copilot and a and a super brain whatever it is who was in that meeting and what did they talk about because um, these recorded meetings like they they record them they they have transcripts and it's all part of the language model so. Some of this might get even easier soon, but um, it's kind of I get it's kind of and they're telling to an asynchronous state of mind. And I actually wanted to thumbs up earlier something you said earlier, David, about how Slack is your studio, um, and how that kind of is where things are happening. Like it's almost like that is the building, and I'd, I'd never realised, but actually, I yeah, I remember that is how it started to feel. I just hadn't identified it, so that's yeah, that's a really cool thing to have noticed. Awesome. Let's move on to the final question, which is from Bryce. Bryce, what is your question and the context behind it? Yeah, so the context behind my question is obviously a couple, three years ago, something happened and we all had to change the way we worked. Um, and weirdly, we all did pretty pretty well with it. Uh, you know, we released some some big games, a lot of big studios uh, released fully remote, you know, AAA blockbuster games that were incredibly well received. Um, but, you know, recently... Um, there's been a kind of push by the studios for a return to the office. Um, and I wonder why do you think the studios are pushing for a return after some successful years of fully remote development? Maybe I'll maybe I'll start. Um, I think I think it will vary based on studio. I think if you if you're in a one on one relationship, right, it's easy to trust that person. If you're at the top of a 20,000 person organization, it's easy to become more paranoid or perhaps you it's easier to justify the, the 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 existence of your massive company if there is a physical location that you can go to and you can see it. Look at this. This is the studio. It, it feels more more tangible. So there can even be a an element of ego 
um, in it that goes all the way up to people that you may never interact with in that sense of like, no, there's off, this is how it's been done. Um, but equally, I think I, I don't love the way the narrative is around uh, remote and in-office working. I think it's too right and wrong. Um, there's lots of people acting like there's obviously one answer, whereas I think in reality, there are studios that and, and people that function better in remote hybrids, you know, in the office, et cetera. Um, so maybe there should be slightly more talk about the benefits of, of, of coming to the office as well. Although I appreciate that's, that's not exactly specifically what you're asking. Um, I think the only other thing I could imagine why is that this has only been three years, right? Three years feels like a long time, but we don't know how this plays out 20 years down the line. Like, um, perhaps it's, it's easy to get one game out, um, through the middle of production maybe it's harder to start pre-production um something was good but could it have been better something was done but could it have been faster i i can understand why these questions come up especially in the minds of people who have had success working maybe you know for 15 20 years in in studio um that said i think for the vast amount of people and the vast amount of studios the best way to work is to allow people to work the way they work best right that's what we want. Why why limit yourself to people who can only come to your tiny part of the world, no matter where you are and how important you think your part of the world is, when uh, somebody brilliant might be sat somewhere else in a country with kids in school and all that, and they want to work for your studio and they're passionate and, and et cetera. So I think why, I think there's all kinds of complicated reasons why, um, if it's an individual business, it could be the owner's choice. If it's a larger company, it could be perception. Um, they could be paying rent on the office and they want to get someone in there to feel like they're using it. There's all, there's all kinds of reasons. Um, but yeah, I'd like there to be less of an antagonistic kind of conversation around remote hybrid and office. I, I think that's what we've done today. You know, we're, we're, we're talking positively about about all sides. But yeah, that's that would be my piece on that. Yeah, I mean, um, I think you've covered most of the points that I, I sort of was thinking uh, of covering myself. Um, as you said, it, it, we, we want to avoid too much of an us and them uh, rhetoric from, from carrying on for too long, I think. Um, I, th I think you may be on to something in particular uh, around, yeah, we got it out, we got it done. We did we did that last year and a half of the, the, the game remotely, but we did the preceding seven or eight years or whatever it might be um, in office. And so we've done the bulk of the work, right? Um, obviously, you know, speaking for, for, well, not speaking for Roll7, but speaking about Roll7 uh, as, as a remote studio, um, without wanting to toot our horns too much um you know we did release entirely remotely the whole thing from start to finish um uh, a dice award winning game and a BAFTA award winning game in the same year um as a small team <laughs> working entirely you know re remotely so um it certainly can be done um i'd like to think the fact that we did it twice means that it isn't just a lightning strikes type um analogy but um for big teams, I mean, you mentioned, you know, when, when you when there's 20 of you, it's quite easy to trust the other 19 people. But when there's 20,000 of you, it's quite difficult to trust the other, however many that is. Um, so yeah, it, it it certainly might come down to that. I had actually written about the rent as well because <laughs> um, I had the same thought. You know, we're paying for this office; we can't just not use it, right? Like that's mad. Um, totally understand that. Um, I, I I guess I guess. Uh, I guess it's a fear that uh, the last few years were maybe a fluke, um, buoyed by, I mean, we all saw a big 
upsurge in in uh games sales right like more people were playing games for the last few years so it looked like the industry was doing great um but we're already seeing that that's that's you know returning to sort of pre-pandemic levels um and so maybe that's the fear right uh it it, it worked but whew, we got away with that kind of thing rather than oh this works let's keep doing it um but i i definitely i mean a big i'm a big advocate for um uh, diversity and inclusion i'm a big advocate for, for accessibility um and so ultimately the 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 goal should be as you said whatever works for people that should be how they work um th this works fantastically for me i it sounds like it is less than ideal for doug for instance right so it, you know it's just it, it's it's down to the individual um and if you can get someone as you said doing their best work it shouldn't matter where they are um if they're doing it they're they're doing it i'll get off my soapbox sorry <laughs> no worries and yeah in, i mean in my case if i if i needed to i think if it was a remote studio i would probably do what a lot of people do and look for a space with people and do my work from there anyway so co-working so even then like i can get my needs met which is the key part um i actually want to quickly bounce off your accessibility point um because there's a really really useful thing in there and that for some people, it is like the remote environment is not just better, it is possible. Um, because like there's there's a lot of people who can comfortably code, but they know if they have specific um either neurological or motor um issues or any other disabilities, they can't use your studio. They either can't use the stairs or they can't see, it's not blind friendly. And a lot of these people can be fully functioning software developers from their home with their managed setup and can join. So getting into a culture of enabling this is really good. Um, there's a couple more, um, Derek mentioned something about um, the difference between how some parts of development could be useful for like, sometimes there could be a good time to have people together. And again, it's one that you couldn't force on people, but um, having done, so at Fundamental VR, as I said, our projects were quite short. And so we've gone through starting and finishing quite a few. And um, in all the times, I have felt that for both pre-production, especially when it's you're know, getting a new team together for the first time, and then again at release, where there's a lot happening really fast, at both those times, I thought, oh, I'd really like it if we were all in the same room, especially for the team building, like getting used to each other. And it feels like if you don't, if you can't do it over call, you try and do it at the pub. And that's where I feel like um, if I was running a studio with the budget I would love to have had, is if I'm starting up a new team, you you Airbnb them somewhere for a week. You pretty much set them up for a hack space, um, and so they can like get to know each other, do their work, like um, and do the idea sharing and the people connecting, which is what that time of the project is about. It's not about coding, um, it's not about the asset building. It is sharing ideas and communicating, and release again is actually I don't know. I actually think that one might still say better because I saw what some engineers sort of doing was they would sit open in a call um, and just almost have it open like Discord where it's just voicing in the background so they can just keep talking without having to start a new call. Um, the, a couple more reasons I think why the, there may be some more push coming though, actually answering the question, I'm sorry, <laughs> bit of attention. Um, so I think one thing we can remember is a lot of the people running studios have been around in the industry for a long time. And this is a new, new, huge change to what has been their entire career's way of working and 
their entire career's development of skill sets. Um, and I think there's a lot of people running studios that um, may well have just not been able to adapt to the remote environment at all and just can't can't get comfortable, can't relax running their business, which was something they started in their livelihood. And so I think there are some people who just don't know how to feel comfortable in a remote studio, even though we know some have been, re- plenty of companies have been remote for their entire time. So GitLab, um, Devolver Digital. Um, but uh, I think there's one more slightly cynical reason that I know a lot of people talk about tech companies in general, and I think probably a fair few game studios are pushing return to work is actually something happened in the pandemic, um, which was a lot of studios grew beyond their studio walls and it wasn't sustainable. Um, and there's a, I think there's a lot of studios finding out now that there's a lot that grew up in that time that wasn't sustainable. And this is a cynical theory of a lot of tech companies. This push for remote work is a bit of a dissuasion for people that only want to do remote. Um, it is cynical and I don't know this and I haven't heard anyone, any people running companies that are saying this, but like, I don't want to pretend I don't understand it a little bit um, and why their motivations may have come from there. I said, we need to shrink our workforce. And um, if we want to play savvy on this, it's a bit easier to, it's cheaper to convince them not to work here than to make them redundant. Um, so, and not a practice I want to recommend for everyone. It's like, not how I'd want to run things, but I think it might be why we've seen so much of it across a lot of business. Uh, Bryce, you've had stuff to say for a while. Oh, yeah, just wanted to respond to all these brilliant points. Um, thank you both, David and Doug, for bringing up the accessibility um, argument. It was uh, my my biggest kind of um, point that I wanted to make around this is um, the I think the feeling of it being slightly combative, this whole topic, is because it isn't just preference. It is people's lives. Um, and that, you know, it feels like you're trying to take our livelihoods away for people who are who are disabled, who have you know, processing disorders like me. Um, my, my partner has got severe endometriosis and PCOS, so she's got physical problems with actually moving around and, you know, having to commute into an office, like you said, stairs and all these kind of things. Um, that's not even speaking of, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of other disabilities that make it difficult for you to get to a brick and mortar building and and do your job. Um, so thank you for bringing those up. Those are really, really important points, I think. Um, and um, in terms of the um, the office space stuff, like totally understand you want to get your money's worth out of a giant office space that you've bought, but it feels like you can probably use this time to downsize your office space. And be a little more realistic and a little less ego-centric in terms of I need big building to show everybody we are powerful. Um, so, I mean, it, yeah, it just makes the most business sense in a very risky industry, which game development is. We all know that. We are run by a lot of risk-averse people, and it's just slightly confusing to me why they haven't seen some pretty obvious risk in terms of large office spaces that aren't getting fully utilized during large periods of time, um, rather than forcing people back into them, why don't they think about downsizing those and saving the money and saving the overhead um, for the business um, could could solve problems elsewhere as well. I've had a, I, I like this question so much. I want to have closing thoughts. So I will let David say some things first and then we'll close up. No, I was going to say, I mean, some uh, in, in some cases you sort of feel like uh, it's about the draw as well, right? Like uh, if you've got the big, nice, fancy offices that look really cool, 
maybe that will help you draw the talent and um you know uh it was a develop uh i was gonna say earlier this year it's january i was a develop last year there we are um, and uh uh gorilla were there um showing off i mean they weren't showing off their new offices they were talking about all sorts of things um but in the background while they were talking with these videos of their fancy new offices um and you know i did find myself sort of going i mean i much prefer working remotely but if i had to work in an office I'd be okay working there, you know, um, uh, and and maybe that maybe that's part of it. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's where it sits. I don't know. I think one thing is if you do like going to the office and you're one of the few that I go there. This was a big thing in Stockholm during the pandemic. After the um, lockdown stopped, they were basically had a twenty to thirty percent of people actually showing up to the office. Very few. So if you actually go into the office, it feels like you're working remotely. And then you move that kind of nice osmosis part. And when I was speaking to some candidates, actually, they love working in the office and especially some junior talent. A lot of them were saying they want that experience. And if I'm thinking what Doug said, I will happily say I think that's a big part of it. If you're going to do layoffs and you're a businessman, you can be like, OK, we'll make everyone go to the office. The people who don't like it, see you later. And then we'll go from there. That might be a strategy. But I think that osmosis. I think is very much possible in remote. I just think it's hard or people just don't have the playbook yet. And therefore they're saying, if we do want to scale or keep the knowledge in the building is we want to have at least a skeleton crew, so to speak, even if that's 50 people and it's a 200 student that, you know, are happy to be in the office and be there. So if some new person does join and go into the kind of in the trenches and get that experience, I think we've covered today how we don't need to do that. But I think, these conversations aren't necessarily happening every day. And I think there's a lot of people I talk to, they're like, oh, I never knew that. Or my onboarding at this remote company was horrible. And I'm like, okay, so I think it can be done. But I think a lot of companies, massive ones, will just stick with what they know, so to speak. And also, I heard some things about offices. Leases are very long. Some of them have like two, three-year leases, and it's very expensive. So I think that is a big part of it. They're like, well, we're going to use the benefit of an office. So they're going in the office whether they like it or not and then we can think about downsizing later and i think we've touched on a few things today is that is there a right is there a wrong not sure but i think there's definitely everyone can improve so to speak um on the topic of remote working yeah we covered a lot of ground today we went a bit over which is always a good sign because that means we had loads to talk about so i'll leave it there i'm your host harry foku foku spelled p-h-o-k-o-u you can follow or contact me on LinkedIn. I post regularly. And if you're interested in getting involved in a podcast, you can just send me a message. Thank you, Bryce, David, Doug, and Tara for taking the time out of your days. And hopefully everyone at home got something out of this. I want to say thank you for everyone at home for listening. This has been the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast. Thank you.